Welcome to the Building Management Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk, and today we're talking about mold prevention in schools during the summer months and the risks that you can take to mitigate that. Our guest today is Summer Street of Polygon. Summer, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Shelby. Happy to be here. So let's talk about this issue because I think it's something that doesn't necessarily come into mind until you see some of these news stories. There were several schools that came out, uh, some stories I saw in Pennsylvania, for example, that uh, school openings had to be delayed because of this problem of mold in schools. So tell me a little bit about uh, what the issue is. I mean, what specifically is proliferating this mold that kind of, I guess, comes about during the summer months? And then what's, what's the type of risk that lies for children and and adults in the school and a little bit of what Polygon does then. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, So typically uh, educational facilities, just like any facilities that tend to to be seasonal, when they shut down for the summer season, for example, oftentimes they really don't consider um, the air and the condition of the indoor air quality Um, if you are not actually making sure that you have enough dehumidification and cooling in your facilities during the layup time. We call it a a school layup, for example, because essentially the school is closed and it's just trying to maintain the environment at the lowest cost, you know, for costs of power and those sorts of things. But uh, a lot of oversight, I think, happens when you're trying to save money on power and electric and utilizing your house HAC systems Um, They forget that the downside, if you don't really pay attention to your humidity levels and your temperature, is that mold breeds very, very well in high humidity situations, and you might have a much larger problem on your hand than than an accelerated energy bill. The the you know, specific case we're talking about is in schools, but it seems like any any building that goes on any type of furlough or anything that sits um, idle for a certain amount of time is susceptible to this, right? Oh, exactly, exactly, and and of course you're going to see more risk in higher humidity areas, um, such as the Northeast, the Midwest, the Southeast. You get a little bit drier in the Southwest area, so perhaps not as much exposure. Um, but still something to consider depending on the kind of season you're having. But yeah, every every kind of facility is certainly at risk if they are not conditioning their environments to prevent the kind of uh, situation where mold likes to, to grow. So, so let's go into a little bit of the specifics then. So uh, what are the things that mold loves? Oh, well, mold loves uh, humidity. It likes water. It likes to be dark and it, it likes heat. So all of those things together create basically a perfect storm of, uh, of an environment where mold just loves to proliferate. So for example, if you have, let's just say you're in the Northeast, let's, let's use Pennsylvania or many, many of the other schools uh, that we've seen in this sort of epidemic this year of mold growth. But if you have an environment where the temperature is over 70 degrees, you've got a high dew point more than... Um, a certain amount of relative humidity in the air, and then, of course, no air movement, no airflow. That's the perfect environment for mold to start to colonize, and that can happen within 72 hours of having that type of perfect environment. Any of those specific conditions that are lowered uh, can stop the, the growth of the mold. So it's it's very easy to prevent it. It's just a matter of uh, thinking ahead and 
and spending the money and the time planning to avoid those, you know, the perfect storm, if you will. So it can begin very quickly. So within 72 hours, then the, the, if you've got conditions for 72 hours, then that can be an environment where mold can start to grow. If the um, conditions optimize then, so if it gets cooler or if, you know, uh, there's light in the building or anything like that, uh, does that, that doesn't certainly reverse the, the, the growth. It just temporarily stops it. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, exactly. It would, it, we would call it stabilization. So, you know, let's say you have, you have the ideal conditions for mold growth. Um, mold perhaps has started to bloom. So you're, you're starting to see some spores. If you take action at that time, you'll definitely be able to stabilize the environment and stop it from uh, really continuing to bloom. And then you can handle, have sort of a remediation situation, and then you hold the conditions to uh, non-favorable to mold growth, and, and then you're, you're pretty much safe at that point. How much of the, um, of the mold growth is unseen? Is unseen? Oh, well, there, that's, that's, again, where we go to the dark, uh, gloomy places. Um, oftentimes, a, a lot of it's unseen because it does like to um, hide under surfaces on occasion, you know, something like a wall covering or under tiles, um, in books, uh, that sort of thing. So you will really have to have a professional if you if you do see mold. I mean, if it's really, really obvious, you know, we don't want to sound like people can't make their own good educated decisions. You know, if it's really quite obvious um, that the mold is is growing in only one particular area, you might be okay. But it's always best to be safe and sorry, particularly when you have children and students and and the kind of public um, exposure that schools do uh, encounter, of course. Well, I, I want to come back to um, some of the risk factors with mold. Um, going back to what you were saying about having good common sense about what you're seeing, uh, I guess, what are some of the um, the DIY very first attempts that you can make that, you know, building managers can make to try to contain that at the very beginning? Well, uh, you know, bring the, uh, bring the temperature down if you can. Um, bring the temperature down, introduce airflow, ventilation. Uh, that kind of thing, if you've got a nice, good airflow, um, it's a lot harder for the colonies to to grow. Um, the temperature, again, it, it's making sure that you've got more exposure to light if possible. That one's a little bit tricky. So I think you really go for the reduction in temperature and the increase of uh, ventilation. And of course, then if you have your own sort of dehumidifier as a DIYer, um, starting dehumidification process to pull that moisture out of the air is, is always a good place to start. And if you have a small localized uh, problem, it's not impossible that you could absolutely handle that on your own. Obviously, when this then starts to get bigger, when it's not isolated and you start to see uh, these spores kind of pop up here and there, uh, what's the, I guess, the the scientific significance there? So when you're saying spores, those, those can start to bloom. What does that mean in plain terms of like how mold proliferates? Okay, so picture... Um, just in your mind, picture a space where you've seen mold. Let's say uh, typically you'll see it in your basement and you see it sort of crawling up the draw the drywall. So you'll see um, looks like kind of spotted green patterns often in a round shape. That is a colonization of the mold. So the mold spores are everywhere. There is no way, no place on the planet there that there aren't mold spores. 
they are everywhere and you can't get rid of them. It's just part of the world and um, the environment we live in. The change is when they are able to to grow and colonize and bloom. And that's when you start seeing the um, the green or the black or the yellow or the white. And, and you see that out in the open. That means that it's, again, it's had the ideal conditions wherever it is, where it can begin to uh, become visible. Um, so once you once you see that, then it, it's active. OK, and so when it's in growth mode and it's active, that's when you're having the uh, the risk factors that you hear about a lot with the health concerns, um, people with allergies. You hear about the black mold, which is not uh, as common as is led to believe, and um, but it is out there. And those are the ones that can um, pose more of a health risk to people. Is there any significance to the color of the mold? Yeah, there there is. And, and anyone who is really interested in this could uh, could simply Google different kinds of mold and see the images. Yeah. Typically, the ones that uh, get you up in arms is is the black mold, the aspergillus. Mm-hmm. And that is the kind that is known to be the most toxic. Of course, it's not toxic to everybody. You really, uh, you know, you, you have a sensitivity to it. It's much, much worse. But everyone should always use appropriate PPE, uh, personal protective equipment, if they're dealing with, if they see black mold or any kind of mold and, they, and they're not sure what they're looking at. Because in order to know for sure, you do have to take a culture and have that tested at a lab. So these are really loose, you know, rules of thumb. Um, but the black is tends to be the most toxic. So that you really kind of want to be on a high alert. Uh, the other ones, again, um, the greens, the yellows, the whites tend, tend, this is again, very general, tend to be sure. less of the toxic type mold. But again, certain people, um, people with uh, um, deprived uh, immune systems and older people and younger people should be more careful of any kind of environmental particulate matter because it just bothers them more. But you don't want it to get in the air and to move. Once It's sort of like asbestos. It's not quite dangerous if it's just sitting there and not into the air, but the moment that it starts um, off, off gassing spores, which is how it travels, it's, you know, the spores kind of move and then they create more spores and then they colonize and you see more of the, the visual signs of the mold. Um, when it's in the air, that's when it's not so good for people. And of course, you know, just moving around, you're going to disturb it more than likely. So, and that's actually a, a good analogy then that uh, best is in terms of if it's settled or if it's kind of being moved around and that can be just as simple within a mold case scenario as is just moving air and moving people and that sort of thing, right? Right. And, and if you remember what I said before about the ventilation, you can have a little catch-22 there because the ventilation is good to... Uh, prevent the mold and stabilize it from growing further. But at the same time, if you have some of the dried mold, well, you know, the air ventilation is going to encourage it to to be in the air circulation. So that's why we kind of, we like to recommend a system where not only are you increasing ventilation, but you additionally are using things like air scrubbers with HEPA filters and you're using negative pressure so that instead of flying around in the air using uh, negative pressure and dehumidification technologies, you you limit its ability to to be airborne in a, in a simple sense. So the Centers for Disease Control, they point to symptoms such as throat irritation, coughing, wheezing, 
uh, eye irritation, uh, even in some cases skin irritation as uh, symptoms or byproducts of mold, but isn't harmful necessarily to everybody. But it's still a it's still a sensitivity. I guess I guess explain a little bit of that slope that mold can affect a lot of people, but I guess it's just on varying degrees. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not a doctor and don't profess to to be um, an expert in mold. But from my personal experience, which is almost 20 years in in a business that you get exposed to a lot of mold, I I don't have a sensitivity to mold at all. So it doesn't bother me uh, unless, of course, you go into an environment where it's dark and dank and you just you'll get a headache or something like that. But most people who work in our industry, you really can't have a high mold sensitivity because we deal with it. We deal with it quite a bit. Um, but when you see people like the people back in, oh, gosh, it's probably been 15 or 16 years when you started to see all the lawsuits coming out of Texas uh, with dogs passing away and people having very severe severe reactions uh, to the to the black mold you know those people are at the other end of the spectrum where if there is any present in a house and a lot of that was new construction with a particular kind of drywall that was a very poor quality and so you had this sort of epidemic of black mold back in the you know i say the early 2000s yeah those kinds of people might might show hives if they get into a mold environment um they might immediately get a bad headache uh they and then the symptoms can range from there but it, in in my experience most people have a pretty high tolerance to uh to those kind of really extreme reactions i think most people are probably right in the middle of the road well and that's where you'll see um those varying reactions. And so um, I remember about that time I was in college and some of the uh, college dormitory and, and housing, you know, a lot of this black mold started to show up in places and some people, it would drastically affect them and others, it, it was nothing. Exactly. So it's not a matter of whether or not it was there. I mean, obviously it was there, but you know, what to what degree are you susceptible to it? That's it. That's exactly true. Which I, which is the same for most allergens. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, why it is certainly something to be concerned about. Is it cause for panic? I think not. I think a lot of uh, a lot of uh, companies and people certainly capitalized on that fear, and we we don't like to promote that kind of fear response, but we we certainly know that a lot of people have it, and I think part of the the real issue with the schools is there's so much um, exposure for them PR wise and publicity and all this sort of thing that they're really uh, they really are going to have a zero tolerance for it regardless of if it's really an, a, a health issue or nothing that you should get panicked about they're still going to be exposed to that because you've got the kids you've got right. the parents you've got the people that are worried about it you're going to have some people that are susceptible most that aren't so they're really in a a really kind of precarious spot. And I think that's why it's so important that they get ahead of it because they have not only the um, the remediation costs and the stabilization, stabilization costs and the cost of moving students, but they have this goodwill. You know, they're supposed to be taking care of these kids and not exposing them to uh, to something that, that people might interpret as toxic. Right, exactly. Well, so um, getting ahead of it then, like you said, so what are some of the things that building managers should be doing once it's gotten past the point of a, a small area and it has 
it's out of a DIYer's hands. Uh, what are some of the things that take place when a company like yours, you know, comes in to try to try to help alleviate these issues? Sure. So the uh, the first thing really is always stabilization. So you go, you figure out what's going on, you take your readings, you figure out what's going on with the moisture, the relative humidity, the temperature, um, the airflow, all of those things. You get a handle on that, which takes little to no time, just some some uh, readings with the prop, proper equipment. Then you begin to stabilize the environment. Obviously, you set up containment. If you have uh, if you have a, a building, for example, where only one wing is uh, is exposed or is showing problems and there's no indication anywhere else, well, you set up containment so that there wouldn't be any cross-contamination between, um, let's just use the example of, of wings of a, of a school for now. So that, that would be number one, stabilized. Then you would begin to get the environment, the air quality where you need it so that the, the mold will not continue to grow. So that would be starting to bring out the uh, the moisture from the air, bringing down the temperature and getting your air scrubbers and your HEPA filters going. So, so that is going on in the background. And then you would have your workers who would of course be wearing the appropriate PPE. I always uh, have to have to mention safety is very important. Right. And then they would simply clean, uh, clean the areas of the mold. Uh, and for the most part, depending on the surfaces, you know, most uh, surfaces aren't terribly porous. So simply cleaning it with the appropriate uh, um, fungicides and, and those kinds of uh, cleaners is, is going to do the trick. If you have porous materials, there are some situations where it might be just easier to replace those. We do try to uh, restore as much as possible rather than replacing things that can be easily cleaned. And then once you have all of the visible mold gone and you've got everything in the right uh temperature ranges and the, and humidity, well, as long as you keep it there, then, then you should be okay. And that's the part. If you start with the right conditions before you have the problem, that's really the best way because then you never have a problem, you know, because let's say they close for the summer and let's say May or June, that's three months that uh, three or four months that you have to make sure that you've got proper conditions. So you have to make a decision do you want to utilize your your house systems, so your permanent HVAC systems and your air conditioning, or do you want to look into a temporary solution using external equipment? And there's some cost benefits to uh, to using a temporary solution, amongst other things. But it's simply something that they, if they prepare for it, uh, shouldn't be a problem. Are there assessments that can be done to? to test the humidity levels, the and basically the susceptibility of your building to mold, even if you haven't seen it yet? Absolutely. That's a, that's a good question. Yeah. And many companies would, would go in and everyone would like to do that first. So they'd say, okay, we're concerned that, that uh, we could have an issue. We want to get ahead of it. So you come in, you do, uh, a, you investigate the entire site. You check, like you said, you check the air, uh, the, the air conditions, you check how well their systems work, um, utilization of their systems. And then we could even do, and other companies could do as well, is providing a, what would it cost for you to utilize your permanent systems? And don't forget the risk of utilizing your permanent systems all the time. Um, you know, for the more you use them, of course, the more quickly they they wear down. So you've got some, some 
obvious costs and energy, and then you've got your hidden costs of just utilizing equipment when it would probably like the three or four month break. Right. Then you can compare that to the cost of renting equipment that you would use for those three months, um, your desiccant dehumidifiers, your HCUs, which is a hybrid desiccant dehumidifier that's extremely energy efficient. And these things typically will sit either on top of the building or they'll sit outside of the building and then they'll have uh, they'll be ducted in. So the air that's created by these machines is then ducted into the building. So it's very easy to drop off and pick up and you know, you shut the school down, drop it off, you turn the school back on, you just pick it up and then you do the same next year. You can look at those costs and decide what's the best solution for the particular facility. Well, fantastic information. I really do appreciate uh, all your time and, and expertise, Summer. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It was a great interview. I appreciate it. And thanks to you listeners for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com industries. Subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video. Until next time, I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk.